Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 216 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I am very glad to be joining you on this uh, very, very shortened edition of the show. I realize that sometimes I say it's a short episode of the show, and it's like, you know, five minutes less than usual, but this one really is very short. We only have two segments. The first one is myself and Chris McShane talking about the uh, the end of the winter meetings and uh, we answered listener email and uh, not much more. So here we go. Chris, we got kind of a slow week here, post-winter meetings, pre-Christmas. We're just uh, hanging out in Metsville waiting for something to happen and something kind of happened today. We're recording very early this week because we have a number of, uh, of other obligations, but uh, it came out today that Juan Lagares hurt his shoulder in a Dominican League game. He was diving for a ball and hurt his shoulder. Uh, initial x-rays came back negative, but he was flown to New York today to meet with team doctors. We do not know how that meeting went, um, but is there? Uh, do you have much reason to be concerned here, or do you think it's uh, the Mets just being precautionary? Uh, 
Well, <laughs> I guess it's kind of tough to go with just bringing precautionary. Um, Look, we have to talk about something this week. <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> but it's – I get it that everybody probably jumps to the worst-case scenario because – Oftentimes, you know, you follow a team closely, you get the injury updates, you start to think the team always is lying to you, and, you know, the guy who's day-to-day may never play baseball again in his life. Like, I I, I get that path. That's not how I operate with injuries. I always try to just wait until there's official news uh, of some capacity. And, you know, being that we're in the middle of, like, the winter sports season – it is nice that as vague as things might sound at first, uh, when the Mets talk about them with injuries, it's a hell of a lot better and more detailed than most hockey injuries. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, the uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners um, follow hockey, but plenty might not. So you know, generally in that sport, you you can get updates that a player has an upper or lower body injury (laughs) the end like that's it and you know you you, there's just not as much detail about stuff so with Ligaris I think I'm I'm not concerned yet you know we there was a sort of a low quality video of the play where similar to his thumb injury from this year you know he's going full tilt he he makes a diving catch and he comes up and, you know, he's he's hurting. So I guess the reason for optimism right now is that it wasn't the same injury. You know, he didn't, like, re-break the thumb or anything. Um, or it, technically it wasn't broken, right? It was... It, it was a torn ligament, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he like didn't... Re- yeah, the, I mean, he tried to play through it a little bit and then ultimately, you know, he had to get that addressed. But... The fact that it's not a re-aggravation of the same thing is somewhat encouraging to me. Uh, I guess what concerns me now, before we know any diagnosis, is just that shoulders can be weird. Uh, they I mean, can. A little tough to come back from. Uh, you know, you, you start to... If you go down the path of thinking that maybe he hurt himself a little more seriously, you know, you, you start to think what effect... And it was his right shoulder, right? Um... I'm trying to picture the video in my head now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that when he came up... I think he came up... Yeah, I think so. So that, you know, you you start to think about the effect it would have on throwing. It's not that that arm isn't as important for hitting, but, you know, his left arm is the lead. Uh, You know, both factor into what you do when you're at the plate, but, you know, when I think of right shoulder for him, I, I think a little more along the lines of throwing... Uh, and, and, and as he we had, know, he's got a great arm. Right, but we also know that he hurt his elbow a couple of years ago, and that seriously affected his throwing. Yeah, yeah. So it's all well. The thumb was the uh, was the glove hand, which I think factors in more uh, at the plate. But yeah, yeah. He sort of built up this <laughs> short list of uh, arm or parts of arm <laughs> injuries. Um. So, yeah, I mean, in, in the next few days, we might learn it's nothing. We might learn that it's something major. Uh, but I'll, I'll stay cautiously optimistic because it's the middle of December. 
Uh, and cautious optimism is sort of your MO. It is. So, you know, you're staying on brand by being cautiously optimistic. Yeah, you know, that, that's true. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I, I, I won't freak out if it's moderately bad news. And I might only freak out a little if it was really bad. Only because I'm not saying he doesn't matter to the 2017 team. I think he does. But you go into the season with what they have right now. You know, this isn't a guy who's expected to be a full-time player. Right. So I think that gives me a little bit of comfort in knowing that, okay, if things are, you know, really bad with the shoulder, the Mets might have to do something else to, you know, fill in in center field. But with the plan of right now, Ligaris and Granderson splitting the position, it's not like Ligaris would be overtaxed during the season. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am. Are you, are you more worried, less worried? No, I, I'm about where you are. You know, he, um, uh, this is a terrible test because it's been proven wrong a thousand times. It didn't look that serious in the video. You know, he looked uncomfortable, but I've, you know, there, there's something, it, it's a little bit easier to not think the sky is falling when he's not writhing around in pain, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, perhaps this is my lack of medical knowledge or my naivete or whatever, but I feel like if the um, x-rays initially came back as a negative, that's not uh, a terrible thing either. I mean, it may not be guaranteed that that means it's okay but there's there's some sign that there's not that sort of structural damage which again is you know not terrible um and it's early you know if it's a minor injury hopefully there's plenty of time for rehab and things like that you know we just don't know anything at this point it was a struggle to i, I wrote the article for Mason avenue today and it was a struggle to talk about it too much because we know so little so yeah. i'm not super concerned at the moment um like you said if it comes out that he's gonna need rotator cuff surgery that's that's a very very different story but until we're at that point it seems to me like uh this is probably just a slow news day item that's gained a little bit of traction because it is such a slow news day or at least that's what i'm hoping it is yeah same here (laughs) i mean (laughs) It, even even with everything I said about his role and all that, it would be somewhat disheartening to go into spring training with a fresh injury, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, well, we have one email for you this week. As always, you can email the show, podcast at com, and we will get it and talk about it on the air. This is from Tom in Brooklyn. He says, hey, guys, how are the Mets going to be better next year than in 2016? Right now, a lot is riding on a combination of improved health and health and big gains of Confort- from Conforto and Darno, but nothing has been done to address the fact that the 2016 Mets were a below-average defensive team that didn't get on base often enough. Trying not to be pessimistic, Tom. Well, Tom, none of what you said is not true. Let, let, let's start there. Um, however, I think that there's uh, there's a difference between relying on improved health and the sort of freak nature of the Mets injuries last season. You know, um, this is not Mets fans saying 
David Wright's going to play 150 games and slug 490. Like, that would be a gamble based on health. What I think the Mets and and we as fans are banking on here is that they just all don't fall apart again. <laughs> you know, when you look at the starting rotation from last year, it's kind of staggering how the Mets made the playoffs with the amount of injuries that they dealt with up in the starting rotation. Or if you look at the, uh, you know, the number of games that were started in the first half of the year by you know, Eric Campbell or, you know, um, there's any number of things you can look at here that it, while, yes, it's somewhat banking on better health, it's not banking on miraculous health. It's banking on things falling as they typically do. And as a baseball fan, that's kind of how we base our entire analysis of the sport is just that you know things regress to the mean and if a guy is a pretty good contact hitter he's probably going to remain a pretty good contact hitter until his skills start to really deteriorate you know there is fluctuation year to year but there's certain constants that you look for and I, I don't think that we're looking for anything from the Mets health wise that isn't the I guess baseline health for a major league team um, does that make sense Chris yeah, it does. So I think as we sort of sift through the information that's available to us when we're really at the uh, the low point of the off offseason, uh, Greg Prince likes to refer to it as the baseball equinox, <laughs> which I don't believe we've reached just yet. Uh, no, we're almost there, though. Yeah, it's similar to the actual equinox. But, you know, d- the point that we are equally distant from the next real Mets game uh, as we are far away from the most recent one that was played. So when you're at this point of the off season, you know, we've seen some things written uh, nationally about projections, uh, projected standings based on fan graphs, projections, that kind of stuff. It's new information. It, you know, it becomes a topic of conversation, especially when free agency and the trade market are really quiet overall right now. So in that context, I think we're in a spot where the pendulum on, you know, expectations for the Mets has swung fully to everyone's going to get hurt again. And anyone who has been hurt, it won't be productive at all which I think is sort of the extreme. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's maybe just an overemphasis of the point that, hey, you know, don't expect the Mets to be 100% healthy. Uh, you know, I know I've seen some of the beat reporters say things along those lines that, oh, you've got these pitchers coming off surgery and everybody assumes they're going to be, you know, 100% and healthy and ready to go and not get hurt again. I, I don't think anyone realistically expects any team and this speaks to your point, uh, to stay completely healthy over the course of a season. But, you know, we know in 2015, the Mets won the division. Not everything went right for the Nationals. Uh, I mean, they had the unanimous MVP that year, but Mm -hmm. they had other things go wrong. Uh, They missed the playoffs, partly because of the context of the rest of the National League. Uh, But, you know, that was one scenario that played out last year. Almost nothing 
really went wrong for the Nationals. I, you know, I'm not writing off, you know, Strasburg wasn't right and missed some time, but looks pretty much like himself by the end of the year. Uh, you know, health-wise, Harper might not have been 100%. That might have accounted for some of his drop-off. But overall, you know, things went pretty well. They didn't lose any one of their best players uh, for the course of the season. So I guess it's just sort of expecting a balance. You know, it, while I think it's reasonable to be concerned about the Mets players who are coming back from injury, I think it's also reasonable to expect that the Nationals might, you know, have their own things go wrong. And, you know, nobody roots for that, perhaps unless Chase Utley's involved. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, you know, the, the points here, health, defense, on base percentage, uh, they're all valid ones, like you said, but... You know, it's less a less terrible outcome with health. And I think, you know, big gains from Conforto and Darno, uh, they would be nice. And, you know, Darno at the plate, uh, and I know people really harped on the defense. I'm not as caught up in that side of it, uh, his game. But at the plate, he was really bad. Uh, yeah. But... The difference between that and just being league average, like that's not where I want Darno to end up. I want, you know, I want the guy who in 2015 came back and just raked uh, and, you know, hit a lot of home runs and was a, a sort of a scary hitter to have to face. Uh, you know, I want that to be the Darno that is around for the next few years. Uh, but a step up to league average or a little above that is a big step up from last year. So that, that I guess is a big gain. Conforto doesn't really have to do that much better to be a valuable player to me. So I guess that's, that's kind of my point with both of them is that, you know, better than last year might not be our dream scenario, but I don't think it would be that difficult for either one of them to improve. Yeah, I also think that, you know, one of the things that Chris talked about a lot when we were talking about the Neil Walker situation was how he wanted the Mets to be deeper so that Neil Walker was plan A. But if you needed to go to plan B, plan B you know, your Flores, your um, TJ Rivera, etc., that that drop-off is a lot better than starting with Flores and then finding out who's beneath him. And I think that this offseason... And towards the end of last season, the Mets started to just get better at building a deeper major league team. You know, again, Eric Campbell started a hell of a lot of games for the Mets last year. So I think that by having a, uh, you know, even just having Jose Reyes on the team changes the Mets infield depth considerably. You know, having, um, not having Alejandro de Aza on the bench changes the Mets' pinch-hitting abilities considerably. You know, not having um, Jay Bruce striking out a lot in the end of the season changes the Mets' on-base percentage. You know, there, there, there are these little things that do, that might seem small, that with just a little bit of depth and a little bit of a different roster, all of a sudden add up to more. Now, are the Mets going to become the Royals in terms of defense? No, they're not. Um, 
you know, getting on base is is a tricky thing. It's something that almost everybody in baseball values, but it seems to be very hard to teach people. Uh, but I do think that if Wright plays more games, he's usually a pretty good on base guy. You know, if if Granderson can look more like the second half of the year, Granderson, where he's taking more walks and he's not striking out so much, that will help considerably. Um, even Conforto, Conforto got into that huge slump early in the year when he was just flailing at pitches. If he can control that just a little bit, like Chris said, you don't have to turn him into Barry Bonds with you know with with, with such a good eye at the plate. Even if he just walks, you know, five or ten percent more of the time, that will help a lot. I really do think that. This team is built to be a little bit better than last year just because the floor is higher for these players. They're, they're, you know, Jose Reyes is not going to necessarily repeat the performance he had this year, but I don't think Jose Reyes is going to be his Toronto or Colorado self either. You know, we just, they're, they're deeper, the reserves a little bit better, and the other part to consider with the pitching staff is that at this point last year, I think it was almost unfathomable to think that Robert Gazelman would produce yeah. the way he did at the major league level. That's uh, that was going to be my my next point, you know, and, or even Seth Lugo for that matter. Yeah, I think for me, Gazelman is a little more. Uh, I agree. It's not a knock on Lugo at all, but just a little more cause for optimism about the season as a whole. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, our minor league guys are just about wrapped up. Uh, as you're hearing, this, probably wrapped up completely with the top 25 for next year, and you know they've got Gazelle in it too. And a year ago, I don't think anybody would have thought that was possible. Uh, and everything we saw from him at the major league level was really good. Like the stuff was there, the the results were there. You know, I think this is a guy to be excited about. So I love Bartolo Colon, and I think there was still an argument to be made for keeping him around for next year. Uh-huh. Uh, essentially, the same one that was, you know, made for signing him for this year. Just straight up depth, but in terms of results, maybe Gazelman isn't this good. You know, maybe as things adjust and all that, he doesn't end up going, you know, sub three ERA and joining the club of everybody else who's, <laughs> right. you know, done that from the Mets. Um, but I don't think it's unrealistic that he could do that. You know, it, it's certainly a higher ceiling with Gazelman and. I love Bartolo. I, I joked recently that I expect that he'll be back on the team uh, on July 31st or you know whatever the trade deadline is this year. Oh, that would be I, glorious. I'm not necessarily backing away from that. That I think that's you know something that could happen, uh, and people can complain that they you know it's Kelly Johnson all over again. Oh, I hope he's the new Kelly Johnson. I hope the next two seasons we get Bartolo back. Yeah. Uh, but I think strictly from a results perspective, you know, Gazelman's a little, uh, and I hate to say this about Big Sexy, but Gazelman the pitcher, maybe a little sexier. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, also, if you, know, you mentioned Kelly Johnson, if the Mets 
sign Kelly Johnson or someone of his ilk for the bench, that will be a big help too. I just think that the Mets at this point only need to make minor moves to position them, to position themselves to be a better team on paper than they were at any point in 2016. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and and I think you know, Gazelman has that foundation of major league experience. One of the reasons uh obviously the main reason that I wanted them to win the wild card game was to see them defy the odds and go on to win the World Series. Right. <laughs> but one of the things that I really wanted to see uh, you know, sort of as a secondary thing to that was just Robert Gazelman pitching a playoff game, Seth Lugo pitching a playoff game, you know, like it, you just if it came to that. And it looked like it probably was going to. It's like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, that would have been fun to see. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to judge a guy for an outing in the playoffs, regardless of what happens. But, you know, I was just curious to see more and see it yeah. on a big stage like that. So, and also, it would have been great to see the national media just have to learn about two new, really good Mets starting pitchers. <laughs> Every season, it seems like they're getting introduced to one or two more. So, it would have been fun to see the media just react. Like if, if Gazelman threw a gem in the playoffs. Oh yeah. You know the 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 national media would just melt all over itself. Right. And he would be, you know, we don't have everybody's national prospect lists. Mm-hmm. But you know, if he had thrown one gem in the playoffs, even if the Mets were eliminated in that round, you know, all of a sudden I think he'd be a consensus, you know, top 5 or whatever. Yeah. And we don't know exactly where he's going to end up on on everybody's lists, but I don't know. That's probably not going to be the case, no. even though he, uh, you know, he he did it on the major league stage, and he did it with with pressure. Data. And oh with, yeah, with pressure on him too. You know, they were they were in the hunt the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, I know it's me being optimistic <laughs> at this time of year, but I I think it's easy when there's not a game or spring training in sight and you know we haven't had the first significant snowfall of this winter in in new york in the surrounding area it and it's dark out at five o'clock it's easy to sort of go down the path of all the things that could go wrong but you know i'm just trying to look at it from a perspective that as you've said, the depth, I think, is better going into this season than it was last season. Um, you know, that's they're in a spot where, assuming they trade Bruce, there's still four major league caliber outfielders. And maybe you hate Granderson in center field. I personally don't. Uh, I, I admit it's not the ideal position to play him in, obviously, but. You know, I think he can handle it a little better than people give him credit for. Agreed. Uh, so there's four guys who have different qualities that make them starters out there. You know, like you said, Neil Walker is the plan A at second base. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm just not. 
I'm not expecting everybody to fall apart and nobody to improve. And, you know, I, I don't worry too much performance wise about Syndergaard. I think he's the best pitcher on the team. Uh, and that's, you know, DeGrom usually makes me look foolish for saying things like this about anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he's damn good. So he might do it again, but you know, I'm not worried about performance from those guys. Uh, I think Cespedes has established who he is uh, since coming to the Mets, and, and really the, the the whole 2015 season too. The time he spent in Detroit, and especially the time he spent with the Mets that year. So you know, you've got some really solid pieces, and then just the last thought on depth is that you can't necessarily rely on a med rosario you know making his push to come up to the big league team and succeeding right away but man like if there's a mets position player prospect who might do that at such a young age uh it it seems like it'll be him yeah and then you know if he comes up mid-season and is having you know a halfway decent offensive year then you have <laughs> a bench of as cabrera wilmer flores uh juan lagaris and you know and those are all players that we would have been happy starting for the mets last season or this season right and then all of a sudden you have you have this super bench that is incredibly versatile that has a lot of experience and then to me, you're in the driver's seat. If you have if you have that deep of a bench and you've got young players that are performing, then this success is sustainable for a long time. Yeah, and I think that's really enticing too, specifically with this dribble, is that you know, say Rosario is just on fire, and one sort of side effect of the changes in the minor league side of the organization that I think might be beneficial for him, uh you know, his manager from Binghamton is going to be his manager in Vegas when the season starts. You, you, are you trying to tell me also that he wouldn't necessarily uh, – that that for, for organizational <laughs> ideas, having a, a different manager AAA is not a bad thing? Uh, for having well, certain uh, edicts followed, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I, there's that too. Uh, but even volleyball aside uh, – I don't know. There's something about just Rosario so young, you know, he's not that he, you know, not that he doesn't speak English, but you know, he's, he's certainly more comfortable. It's a second language. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's certainly more comfortable speaking Spanish. Pedro Lopez, (laughs) you know, was his manager in Binghamton. Uh, So they get to both make that jump together. And when you're dealing with, a situation where your top position player prospect, no disrespect to Conforto, but there's certainly more hype around Rosario. You know, when you have a guy who is that level going to start his first season in AAA at such a young age, I don't think the continuity there with Lopez is a, is a bad thing. And it's something that I think very rarely happens that, you have that, you know, it's just coincidental, really, that the timing of that prospect and his manager in any organization uh, making that 
that next step in the in the minor league ranks is is rare. But you know, I, I it, it just gives me a little extra reason to be optimistic about him. That's an excellent point. I agree. Yeah. So you know, Tom, we we kind of went off on tangents here, but I, I think that ultimately. As long as the Mets have slightly better injury luck this year than they did last year, I think the team is built for, we both think the team is built for, you know, just a, uh, built for success a little bit better. And, you know, the last thing I'm going to say on this, and Chris, you feel free to to say something else as well. This doesn't have to be the end of the conversation, but my last sort of note on this is just, I feel like there was... All of last season, there was this lingering feeling that we all knew that Cespedes was going to opt out. And I think there was, even on the organizational side, this idea that if we don't get something done this year, we might lose Cespedes. And there's just got to be a bit of relaxation setting in, knowing that you have Cespedes for a couple more years. You know, there's there's really not too many significant pieces walking away at the end of the season. And while that doesn't necessarily make you feel great for 2017's chances, you know, that that's not a reason to win, right? Because you could win again next year. But it might take a little bit of the pressure off everybody. Let everybody relax a little bit and maybe play a little bit better baseball. I don't know how much of that is is real versus just sort of an imagined media narrative, but I would like to think that there's got to be at least from the organizational side, a little bit of a sigh of relief here that this isn't necessarily their last shot at something. Yeah. And just having Cespedes around, I I may have said this already, but uh, I am just so glad that when he hits a home run in August, I'm not going to have to hear anyone say that, Oh, well he won't be here in, you know, two months. Yep. He'll be gone. I'm so glad that that's, you know, <laughs> that's behind us. Yeah. I'm sure it's just going to transition to one big strikeout and then he gets booed, but whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that, you know, that story w- won't be something that we deal with. And, yeah. And yeah, it's, he is a cornerstone of this team now. Yeah. And he's a cornerstone of this team at the perfect moment because with Wright's career in jeopardy and Granderson's contract coming to an end. And, you know, it's just the Mets are going to need that cornerstone player. Yeah. And I'm glad it's you. Me too. Hi, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. And today we've got news that... The Baltimore Orioles signed former Diamondbacks catcher Wellington Castillo to a one-year contract worth $8 million. This was news that's related to the Mets because the Mets don't have a great big league catcher on their roster. They have Rene Rivera, who started way too often last year, and he started way too often because Travis Darneau is supposed to be the catcher of the future and the catcher of the present for the Mets when he's healthy, but he just did not play up to expectations. Last year, he got hurt again. He didn't hit enough when he came back. And the bottom line is that the Mets would like to get a more consistent option 
at catcher for 2017. And now the rumors are going to start flying around that they could sign the the old Orioles catcher, Matt Wieters, who appears to be out of a job for now. But if the season started today, the Mets would still be going in with Travis Darnot and presumably Rene Rivera. Uh, they, they did tender a contract to Rivera, so he would probably be on the roster. And Travis Darnot, in only 75 games last year, hit 247, 307, 323. That was after a 2015 season where, although he also got hurt, he came back and appeared to put it together with the bat. He got on base at a 340 clip, slugged 45, hit 12 home runs in just 67 games, but 2016 was a was a step in the wrong direction for the young catcher, and Rene Rivera turned out to be the more dependable player because another guy was great with the bat, but Rivera, at least you knew what you were getting from a defensive perspective. You're going to get more consistent defense. And now one of the options to improve the catcher position is off the board because Castillo is officially a Baltimore Oriole. And while he's not a... All-star player by any means. He did hit 14 home runs last year with the Diamondbacks. He got on base at 32% of the time, which is which is nice. And the catcher position nowadays is such an offensive sinkhole that any little bit you can get out of it is nice. So the Mets, who are, who are look to be vying for a championship or at least a National League championship again in 2016 after two straight postseason appearances. Would love to get more production out of the position. Maybe the front office has more faith in Darno staying healthy and productive than fans do. And I'm probably as big a Travis Darno fan as there is. I'd like nothing more for him to stay on the field hit the ball the opposite way with authority and really just prove the critics wrong. But just the, the the way last season panned out, you'd be crazy not to go in with another option and just see if Darno can sort it out. I wouldn't have a problem with him starting on opening day, but if he falters a little bit, it'd be nice to have someone a little more explosive than Rene Rivera. And Wellington Castillo would have been that type of player, but Mets didn't want to go in that direction. Castillo does have have pretty nice defensive numbers per fan graphs. He in Seasons before 2016, he did have some uh, for two straight years. In 2014, 2015, his on-base percentage was a little below 300. So while he he does have some decent pop for a catcher, Castillo, not the most consistent guy getting on base, you could certainly see why the Mets pass on him because there are flaws to his game. He's going to strike out about a quarter of a time. He walks a little bit, about 6 or 7% of the time, but not too much. And he, but he's still he's still a better hitter than Rene Rivera. He still has more power potential. He's going to hit around 15 home runs per year if he gets. And he's he's played in about 110 per games per year the last three seasons. Just from eyeballing the stat sheet here on my computer. The other big story this week was ML, from MLB. They are looking to ban. Uh, hazing rituals where rookie players are dressed up as women. Now, 
They said you can still dress up as superheroes or Ninja Turtles or the like, just no cheerleader costumes or Hooters outfits, or as the Mets did last year with their rookies, uh, a League of Their Own costumes or anything like that. And as you might expect, some veteran players were angry on Twitter about this, even though, as our own Kate Feldman Kate Feldman pointed out on AmazingAvenue.com, there are plenty of other great ways you can embarrass rookies without having them dress up as women. Baseball is just trying to create a more, I don't want to say politically correct, but I just did. It's more politically correct environment. It's a more, it's an environment that's more respectful for women. You can't argue with that even though the players might have it, might have a little less fun. They, you just have to get a little more creative now when you're handing out your rookie costumes. There's still plenty of stuff you can do as far as hazing is concerned, although I don't like the word hazing because it brings back, or at least to me, it makes me think of fraternity hazing where you're asking freshmen to to drink alcohol until they end up in the hospital. But as far as costumes are concerned, it sounds like, it's relatively harmless, so as long as there are no offensive costumes being handed out anymore, I think that the veterans as well as the rookies can still have their fun and participate in what they're calling a, a uh, team chemistry, a bonding ritual, but is, pro- is, is something that we, we could probably do without and just be fine, but for the players, it's important, and I don't think that baseball is doing anything over that uh, over the line in terms of banning female costumes when it comes to players being able to bond with each other. So just some overreaction there. It's pretty reasonable what baseball is doing, and Players aren't going to like it, but there's still plenty of of ways for them to have fun, so they shouldn't really get too worried about that. So those are the two big things for today. The Mets did not seem interested in Wellington Castillo, although I kind of have a man crush on him. He's got a great nickname, which of course is Beef because of his first name Wellington. It's not incredibly creative, but it is certainly fitting for the powerful catcher. And then you have the the powers that be not allowing players to dress up the rookies as women which is a step in the positive in a positive direction while still allowing for plenty of create creativity and hazing and whatnot for the veterans to have fun with so good move there i think the mets will still look elsewhere to improve the catcher position I can't imagine they're too happy with what Travis Darno and what they got out of the position last year. So, well, that's something to look forward to as we enter the holiday season. It's going to be continue to be a quiet time probably until the new year, but you just never know. Some of these signings can pop up out of nowhere. So, so keep visiting AmazingAvenue.com and we will update you whenever anything happens with the Mets. So, with that noted, this has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. Short show, 
Anyway, that does it for this installment of Mason Avenue Audio. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. We appreciate it, even during these slow winter months. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets information you could possibly need. You can also find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can find the show at BlogTalkRadio.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on your podcatcher of choice. Please rate, review, and subscribe in whatever podcatcher you use. Those things really do help, but especially on iTunes, that helps bump the show's profile and... uh we appreciate it, so thank you. You can email the show, as always, at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com, and you can follow our contributors on Twitter. Chris is at Chris McShane, Aaron is at APY5000, and I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back shortly with another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. So until then, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.